<clears throat> Microphone check. It's been a while since I did a podcast. Okay, welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. Today, I have a very, very special guest, my friend for a very long time, and we, we got to uh, tour together. It was, I don't know if it was a year ago or not. Maybe long, I think it was a year or longer, right? 2019, though, maybe. I think it was 2019, yeah. yeah. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Andrew Black. And that's your real last name? That is my, my God-given birth, wow. birth name, Andrew such, William Black. Such a cool name. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for having me on, man. It's of good course. to see you. You too. I haven't seen you in a minute since the pandemic before that. Um, I'm trying to think when you lived close to here before. I forgot you lived in Long Beach now. Yeah. Thanks for coming up. I appreciate it. Of course. I used to live right around here. I was in like Venice and La Cienega like when I first moved out here in 2011. And then, oh, you were? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of nice coming to my old neighborhood. Back to your hood. Um, you like the Dave Grohl of hardcore. I am. Yeah. <laughs> and, and your looks, and, and because you come from that area, too. You're from D.C., though, right? Yeah. Born and raised? I was born around, like, Albemarle and Tenley Town. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and, uh, and then, like, I spent, like, my formative, like, teenage years, like, out in Maryland. Like, uh, yeah. I, I can talk a little bit more about that. or Yeah, yeah, for sure. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. People love to hear the story. So, so that's where you kind of grew up? Basically, yeah, yeah yeah like it, it was it was kind of nuts it was like when i was a little kid i remember because there was a heckinger like it basically right like around like au and tenley town wilson high school fort reno yeah yeah, yeah. like right where albemarle crossed over wisconsin ave that's like that was the closest metro stop to it and then just like a little bit northwest of there we lived in the 4200 block of albemarle and um and uh like, will listeners know where that is it's like a known kind of place i, I don't think so okay, like i okay. mean like <laughs> it's just like a <laughs> you know it's just like this little pocket of, of northwest okay. dc you know yeah. um excuse me i mean like you know some people might recognize like wilson high school in fort reno because yeah. that was the place where you know ian um and i think jeff nelson uh ian mckay went to high school at wilson gotcha um and Fort Reno Park, right across this, right across Chesapeake. Had those shows, right? Yeah, they had yeah. the summertime shows where you know during the '90s, Fugazi would like annually kind of close the summer session out. Yeah, and so, but just a little bit northwest of there, on the other side of Wisconsin Avenue, like uh, my pop and my mom bought this house, and like there was, it was just a nice little neighborhood, and like it was. You know, we could walk to the park, yeah. you know, and see, like, all of our friends. And, like, you know, like, in, in the 80s in D.C., it was it was Chocolate City still. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. it was, like, and, I and like, you know, we could get on the Metro. And, like, it, it's crazy that, like, you know, I was thinking when you asked me to do this pod, podcast, I was thinking about, like, the things that have come into the orbit of my life mm-hmm. that then come back years decades later yeah yeah you know yeah. Full and when you know one of my earliest memories i remember just like taking the metro with my mom to the museums because all the museums in dc were free so yeah. like pretty much like as, as a young kid as like my formative memories were developing i remember like getting off the metro and before you reach the street surface like just like as you got closer to the escalator and going up yeah yeah you would hear this like and you're a little kid you have no fucking you have no idea what this is but you kind of like hear this pulse and then the escalator comes to the top and you walk out the 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 metro subway turnstiles and you see a dude <laughs> a black dude 
who may or may not be homeless. You don't know. You're just a young kid. You know yeah. what I mean? But you see this guy with like, he's, it's, it looks like he's got as many arms as Vishnu, like playing like, <laughs> you know, like trash cans and like Sick. shopping cart. And like in my young man, in my young mind, I'm just like this sound, this pulse. It's like, it's like heavenly. Yeah. Wow. How, how and, 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 and I had no idea what go-go music was at age three, age four, age yeah, yeah, five, yeah. as my mom has me taken down to music. It was the soundtrack of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like this pulse. And if the subways are the arteries, then like there's the pulse right in the arteries That's of awesome. this city. And like I, I swear to God, like if if you lived in and around DC, it's like that that pulse, that beat, that 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 Energy. beat would just hit you. And yeah. and you'd be part of it, you know. Um, Do you have brothers and sisters? I had a brother who passed in 1996. Oh, wow, um, of uh, you know, he he was. Uh, I I kind of come from like a line of like alcoholics and addicts wow, and stuff. Man. So I'm 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 incredibly grateful to be sitting here today. You know, yeah, drug free, alcohol free. Yeah, I'm grateful to have you with here, a yeah. vegetarian diet because I because <laughs> last year when we or 2019 we toured I was like. Smoking like a chimney, oh, you know. Right. We were. <laughs> yeah, we, cigarettes. Yeah, that's right. We, me and the road crew, we were just like blazing it every day, <laughs> you know. But like, road crew meaning one other person. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just got back to this point in my life where wow. I just feel like you know that fucking fifteen, sixteen year old kid again, where I'm just awesome. like, I don't need drugs, yeah. and alcohol, like smoking. Like, were you partying when your brother passed? No, I was straight edge then too. Okay, like. It, it was kind of, okay. So like after like we lived in DC up until I was probably like five or six, and then my yeah. pop had this like farmhouse fantasy, like so he bought this house out in Seneca, Maryland. So we moved out to Seneca, and Seneca it's like northwest of DC proper, okay. along the Potomac River, and there was a canal system that was built that went from DC all the way to like the Great Lakes or some shit, the Seato wow. Canal, I think. Okay, and um. And so we lived like right near one of the locks, but there was nothing around. It was like pitch darkness, you know, mm-hmm. like no street lights, no park you could walk to, no yeah. metro. You know, you were just out there. And then my pro- my pop uh promptly left me and my mom and my sister um you know and and started kind of like another relationship. Wow. And so like m- it was just like as a as a kid. Oh, and this is the craziest part. This house that he purchased was was built before the Civil War. Wow! So there was a there was a slave quarters on the property that Holy was never shit. torn down. Okay. Holy shit! So you're you're like I'm now like five six and I'm trying to get my head around like what is a slave quarters? Like I, wow, I like man. I couldn't understand. How like you know you you don't even know what slavery is yet you haven't yeah, even yeah, been yeah. socialized but you know there's this building on your property where slaves used to live yeah and needless to say the property itself had bad vibes <laughs> yeah, I'm sure <laughs> yeah wow and I'm not one to believe in you know like I don't go around like saying like I believe in ghosts or you know or I even know what happens in the afterlife or anything like that but there was an intercom system that was installed in the house I'm assuming sometime in the 70s that my mom would use you know to like hey kids dinner's ready come on come downstairs you know and 
And sometimes that intercom would just like, wow. Are you serious? And it would just, and like, I don't know what happened on that property, but it, wow. it had been around since before the Civil War. It's haunted, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, and like, that's what I'm yeah. saying. I don't want to say it was haunted. I don't want to say okay. I believe in ghosts, but there it was. sounds like, yeah. It's, you know, I mean, like, Some just. Spirits there, man. Yeah. Scared the hell out of me. That and horrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and there was a dirt floor in the basement. So it just felt like it was wow, just like an open dude. grave in the basement. And it was just like, it was terrifying, man. So needless to say, when my mom got the divorce settlement, yeah. <laughs> she moved to Gaithersburg, Maryland. Okay. And I could catch the 56 to the Shady Grove Metro. And then I was like down to Freedom Plaza. And then like, yeah, you know. Eight o'clock at night, the doors are like nine thirty club or Black Cat, which had just opened up. Like and they let kids who were thirteen in. You know, Damn, it's like man. okay, cool. Now, <laughs> holy shit, she was going to shows that young. I was going to shows at like thirteen, like twelve, thirteen, like when I was like seventh grade. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and what? Who who got you into that? How that um, happen? Well, in seventh grade, um, I mean. Moving from Seneca, Maryland to like this, the kind of more suburb, it was like more of a suburban vibe. Like, yeah. um, wasn't so country anymore, but it wasn't <laughs> back to city. But, uh, I, uh, in seventh grade, seventh grade was a big year, man. I got given acid. Wow. Yeah. Um, Damn. by these young. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> young. Yeah. So have like, you tried anything before that? Drinking or smoking or anything? Um, just, you know, like sips off Pops beer yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But like, yeah. so I think these older dudes were like testing out me and my friend to see if like we could hang to like sell drugs for them. Wow. But it's like, we're in seventh grade. You know yeah. what I mean? But like, so it's kind of messed up that like these older dudes, one of them who was my friend's brother was like giving these young kids yeah. acid. You know what I mean? Holy shit. But, uh, so, and I definitely think that affected my kind of development and the way I saw the world, <laughs> you know, mm. kind of like blew it wide open. Yeah. So, um, my mom found, and, and then they were giving me weed to sell, but I, I quickly found out that like the best clients who gave the best tips were my mother's friends. No way, man. So she I was, was selling weed to your mom's friends. Yeah. And my mom eventually, I mean like. At 13? I mean, how, what yeah. do you mean like what? Well, 12 maybe like, younger yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. seventh grade and like Holy so shit. my mom found like the tip money and cash that i've been getting from her friends and i told her i lied to her and i told her i was like <laughs> mowing lawns and she was <laughs> she was pissed as hell and like i really just like violated her trust like she was she wow. was so bummed and she felt like that she had like you know like done something wrong as a parent but like mm. that same year i met this kid in, in junior high and seventh grade and he was wearing a zildjian t-shirt sick and he was just like this kind of like buzz cut like uh asian kid and he looked kind of nuts and uh and i was like hey i i, I play drums my mom bought me a drum set I'm, i like do you play drums he's like no i play bass he's like but my cousin's a drummer my cousin's got this band and uh and that band was this band called Corm, C O R M. Okay. Not to be confused with Corn. Corm. <laughs> um, but uh but Corm's guitar player was this so their drummer was this guy named Dan Chu, and that was my friend Ian Chu's cousin. And uh so instantly, you know, like me and Ian started doing a band. Okay. And we kept doing that band through high school. And 
you know, Dan's guitarist, this guy named John Davis, he started giving me like, he, well, he met my sister and he liked my sister. So he started dating my sister. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, um, isn't John Davis the name of somebody from Corn too? I think so. Yeah. Davis. Wow. So the guy in Corn, his name's John Davis. Holy shit. That's fucking crazy. This is way before Corn too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. It's maybe a year or two, a couple of years, okay. but, um, but so <laughs> that's crazy. Um, he would give me, you know, so he started dating my sister and like, you know, Nirvana had already broke by that point. So like I was into like, you know, the the rock you could access via the radio and stuff. Yeah. And the hip hop you could access via the radio. But uh, it was John Davis and his and Dan and Ian who um, first started like being like, oh, well, you know, check out Fugazi. Check out Government Issue. Check out you know, teen idols, check out all these discord shit, but also, you know, like, um, you know, check out like all these indie bands, like, um, Mm -hmm. like, uh, and there were a lot, there were so many bands that had like female, like singers, guitar players, drummers, like, um, like, uh, there was Madhouse. Remember Madhouse? Yes, I do remember Madhouse, but I never got into Madhouse. Okay. 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 Like, um, and it was crazy because it was like, uh, like the bands that I was first introduced to that like I was like, Whoa, there's so many like women in this scene, like Velocity Girl and okay. this band called Tsunami that was on this label called Simple Machines that uh that Discord had like a like a really um like complimentary relationship with. Okay. Um and that was I think Jenny Thompson, uh no, Jenny Toomey and Kristen Thompson ran Simple Machines. Okay. Um and a, and a girl named Sarah Shannon sang Velocity Girl and and so it was like I kind of saw, you know, the Discord scene that had kind of evolved after Revolution Summer. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. as like, you know, alternative and, you know, everything that was kind of being like um, signed by people like Mike Gitter, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like put into like a major, um, you know, label context. Yeah. You know, there was, you know. It was Atlantic you worked for, right? I think he worked for Atlantic. Okay. Like, um I think so because that's eventually how he signed Jawbox. Okay. Because uh, I think he was responsible for that. And, and Jawbox was like one of the few bands from DC that was like, cool, let's go to a major. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I um, remember that. But like, so around that time, you know, there were all these other like indie rock bands, like in, you know, and post-punk bands that were playing. So I kind of got introduced to like, oh, here's what Discord is doing now. And and I and I saw Minor Threat and I saw a Government Issue and I saw um, Teen Idols and Marginal Man and like I'm like oh like those what that's what happened before yeah but the but hardcore like like when I first got introduced to like this world of independent music I didn't realize that there was still a hardcore scene going okay. on you know what I mean yeah like yeah, yeah. it was so so like through John and you know I I got the access to like what Discord was doing now yeah in 1993 94 95 you know and then while i'm in high school i meet this dude named faraz and he's friends with this guy named dave nada who went on to play in bands like medic and um day nada okay (laughs) and uh now he's a now he's a pretty recognized uh dj he he created this uh this genre called moombaton that's like um Moombaton? Yeah, he's I got a label called Hermanito. Okay. Um, 
Hermanito Records. And uh, and John Davis, if anyone wants to check him out now on Instagram, I think his handle is UMD Punk Collections. Okay. And he's got an amazing archive of like old DC flyers and oh, stuff. Wow. It's it's insane the stuff and everything he's getting together he's archiving for the University of Maryland too. Oh wow! Because he works for University of Maryland. That's awesome. So and John was kind of like he definitely took a page from me in Mackay's book where he was like an archivist, a zine guy, yeah, like um, like a like a like a collector and hardcore a, historian, yeah, hoard, slash order, yeah, totally. Okay, and um. And so I think like, you know, John's work ethic, you know, kind of, kind of mirrored Ian's and, and so Ian McKay saw a lot in him and, um, so getting, so getting back to Faraz, Faraz was like, Hey, there's a, there are these shows that are, that are happening at this place called Chamber of Sound. And oh, yeah, like, Chamber I, Sound. Yeah. I, I didn't know it was the old safari club. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was called Chamber of Sound. So, like, I started going with Faraz, and um, we'd, and, and that's where I, I first got your, your 45. Oh, wow. The one with the blocks on it. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I saw you guys with, uh, I think it was Mouthpiece. Maybe that makes sense, yeah. Mouthpiece, H2O. I can't remember. The Chamber the, of Sound? Yep. Wow. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I guess some of the things that like were entering my my orbit at that time naturally, you know, Discord, Ian, yeah. but also you, yeah, you know, yeah. and like it's crazy. And I, I think you guys played. Uh, do you used to do a cover of With or Without You? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, but like I, that was the only time I ever heard you play it. Okay. Like one of those first shows at, at Chamber of Sound, and um. And it was like kind of, you know, and I already mentioned the go-go, but it was kind of like these things that I looked up to, mm-hmm. like that I had no idea were going to come back into my life. That's crazy. And, and with such meaning and significance later on, mm-hmm. you know, like I was just kind of in awe yeah, um, of everything that I was like getting to witness and be part of. I'm so young too, man. I mean, those shows. Yeah, I was just a teenager. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, like by the time, like I was probably like 14, 15, like yeah. by the time that I saw you. So um, still crazy. Mom trusted you to go to these shows and stuff too. Well, mom was working all the time. She was yeah. just a single mom. So yeah, same <laughs> yeah. same here. So yeah, yeah. But she trusted you to go out there and do that. Yeah, she did. Even after the acid. Well, that's the thing. It's like I think you know once she's once once she saw like oh he's going to these shows and he's identifying with this like scene that's straight edge. Yeah. You know, then like this trust started to rebuild. So going back to your, you know, initial question, when my brother passed, I was, I was straight edge. Yeah. And I was like, I I can't understand how, how my brother could go off on like a tangent and like, and relapse and like, and and die from this shit, you know, like why? Yeah. Cause I, cause I just, especially after like, you know, like smoking weed and doing acid so young, I was mm-hmm. like, I don't need that shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, I'm cool. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm here, I've got this awesome community of people. And like, I kind of saw the way that like discord's still functional. Maybe not like the, the way that they kind of like helped create hardcore yeah. isn't going the same way, but there's over here, you know, chamber sound yeah. like, and you know, uh, they would have matinees of Black Cat on Sundays mm-hmm. too. Like, uh, 
I was like, hardcore's still going. Totally. Like, this is this is pretty fucking rad. Yeah. And like you couldn't <laughs> go off at a Fugazi show. No. But you could go <laughs> off at a battery damnation oh, show. Totally, you yeah. know? <laughs> and For so sure. like get the both best of both worlds. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so like kind of like I, I felt like I was really lucky because like, you know, I I could I could see both those worlds and see the way they were kind of like functioning kind of like independently, but there was so much crossover. You know, like you would see Sean Brown at the same shows and you'd be like, well, who's that dude from Dag Nasty? And he's obviously in both worlds. He's got a foot Mm -hmm. over here. He's got a foot over there, you know, like, and it kind of like it started stitching the history and the fabric of of that independent music community together. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not like lines of like punks over here, hardcore's over here, yeah. indies over here, you know, yeah. like, and, and, and furthermore, like those, those genres, which, which were, which were largely white. The first time I, I saw go, go proper was when Fugazi opened up for junkyard band Sick. at this community center in PG County, probably like 95. I like rode in the back of this, like, jeep that some of the quorum dudes were going over to see him and i was like man this is crazy fugazi's opening for somebody you know yeah, like yeah, on the yeah. way to the show like i didn't understand how fugazi could be opening for some junkyard band too wow yeah and like every time i'd seen fugazi up in that up in that point like there'd always been hundreds hundreds of people yep and so i was shocked when i got to that show and there are hundreds and hundreds of people but there there's a police presence mm. and there's a whole lot more african-americans here mm-hmm. than there were you know the yeah the shows without them and like and i just didn't you know like it's like damn like why does there have to be police here because they're all you know yeah these brothers and sisters here like this isn't like this is weird you know like yeah. and and it kind of like made me think you know like how come you know like this one genre of music is is more is being more closely watched um Good point but you know then you know as you heard more on the news about like people you know like getting arguments at go-go's and shooting each other and stuff you're like oh maybe that's why there's a police presence there you know mm-hmm. but like but i you know i i'm not I wasn't as entrenched in the go-go community as I was yeah. as like the hardcore and punk scene. So there was a lot of stuff that I just didn't know about it. Yeah. How was that show? It's amazing. Yeah. I'm I sure mean, it was like, amazing. Yeah. dude, I mean like, was the crowd cool for Fugazi? Like probably first, a lot of people first time seeing them. A lot of people laughing at him. A lot mm. of people like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of people <laughs> just being like, what is this shit? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people who were just there for junkyard van waiting for him. You yeah. know what I mean? And then Junkyard just cranked for over like an hour. I think Fugazi probably played like the, like 40 minutes, I think. Wow. And then. Just, um, just that happening is amazing though. And so, I don't know. It's so cool to have that happen. Because yeah. I know Minor Threat, one of their last shows was was with like a, junk, uh, a go-go band as well. Yeah, they played with Trouble Funk. Trouble Funk, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean like Ian just had those relationships and he mm-hmm. just like kept them up over the years, you know? Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> was, I love it. I, and I, I think seeing the way that the go-go community kind of like used local dollars, you know, and they were just like, yeah, this money's coming from everyone in the community, yeah. you know, and this is going to be our bread and butter. And that's cool. 
Yeah. And guess what? We can take some of that bread and butter money and we can feed ourselves, but we can also help our community. Yeah, I love that too. And so I think seeing the independence of, of the go-go world, along with seeing bands like The Obsessed, you know, mm-hmm. really had an impact on Ian. And, um, and I mean, that just trickled down because I mean, like it made everyone like my age who like witnessed this independent music and, and like John Davis just being like, I'm gonna do it myself. There's yeah. no, there's no other way about it. I'm going to yeah. do it myself and I'm going to find my allies who are also interested in functioning in an independent manner. I love that. Yeah. What was, um, so before you get out of school, I, um, did you graduate school? I did. Did yeah. you, did you like school? I did good there. Um, I, yeah, I did well, you know, I studied, I focused, you know, like I made, like I made every, you know, um, you know, like every exam, like I, you know, I was like a BA student, you know, nice. like, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, the thing I love the most about it was that like, um, I, uh, I joined drumline. Like when I was a freshman in high school, I was kind of like, I didn't want to do anything, you know, like school related, but I was also <laughs> like going down to Freedom Plaza a lot. And like, I never spent much time on vert ramps, but like, I loved going down to Freedom Plaza. That's awesome. And, uh, Pepe Martinez was like, uh, he was, he was pretty big. He was getting sponsorships, uh, like around then. And so I would like, okay, skating's cool, you know, but I was also playing drums and I had yeah. this, you know, this band with my, my friend Ian Chu going in high school and, uh, <laughs> And, and I was like, man, what else can I do to like really get this, you know, to, to keep pushing forward drum wise. And, and my friend was like, why don't you try to, you know, join this, uh, the marching band. And I was like, well, I I don't know. And so like, (laughs) but, um, were you a shy kid, outgoing kid? I was, uh, I, I, I kind of, I kept to myself, you know, like I wasn't that outgoing. I didn't like say a lot, you know what I mean? But like, I, uh. I would talk a lot around like the people that I knew that I was like cool with. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, but, um, but for the most part, I, I don't think I really speak a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <You're pretty chill. laughs> but, but, but like a marching band, that's like, that's, that's, yeah, it's not, but marching band, that's like being right front and center in front of the whole school. Yeah. It's like a big deal. And like, it was like, I, I think it was like a good place for me to be because like it, it let me, I mean, first of all, the band instructor was just like, you take, this entire group of people and you you're in charge of them and i was like okay so that's you well i mean like when i first joined in sophomore year i just like i kind of learned the ropes as like part of like five snare line yeah and like then that high school i went to in in montgomery county was called quince orchard it was kind of big there were like two thousand kids so 500 per grade so like our marching band just the drum section broke down to five snares five tonal bass drums, two cymbal players, two quad players. So like I got brought on to this kind of like roughly like, you know, a group of drummers who was like 20, 20 people big, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I was like, okay, cool. And, um, (laughs) and and because we were, you know, around the DC area, we were getting cadences from like schools in PG County that were like just straight up like go-go beats that like you could incorporate into the drum line. And so we're like, there was like, you know, one of the, like the things we would do in like football games was like play the go-go beat, you know? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Like, uh, and and so after my sophomore year, all the seniors who were leading the drum line, 
they all graduated. So okay. in my junior and senior year, that's when my, that's when I became like in charge of like, uh, the drum line. And that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I think like at kind of a young age, like I was like, okay, this is, it kind of forced me into a position of leadership. Mm-hmm. And since I wasn't really the kind of guy who like had like a lot to say or like kind of like a big mouth or a big attitude or a big ego or a big personality. Well, a lot of responsibilities either probably at that time. Yeah. It's a big one. I, I, I just kind of like, it, it forced me to kind of like a, you know, a younger age to like have to lead by example mm-hmm. rather than like just saying and then not doing, Yeah, you know? So, and, through, and, yeah. and I was just learning too, you know what I mean? There was so much stuff like, you know, st- snare vocabulary, snare articulation, reading notes because like the bass drums were tonal. They had different sizes to them. So mm-hmm. like, it was really difficult, you know, teaching, you know, like the dude who like marched third base drum to be like, all you have to do is rest, 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 did it, rest, 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 did it, did it, rest, rest, rest. You know, like you're part of a larger piece. The whole line is going like, you know, and there's two hits for the fifth bass drum. There's two hits for the fourth, you know, so like. It was it was a challenge because yeah. like I was just like learning as I went, but it 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 put me in a it, it put me exactly where I needed to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, what were your goals when you graduated? What did you want to do? Um, I mean, I wanted to keep playing drums. Yeah. But I I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, like I was yeah. I was very you know like many teenagers just kind of disillusioned totally and you know like the the political it's like when you grow up in dc or around dc it's like the local news is the political news yeah yeah, yeah. so you're yeah. kind of getting a steady like diet of like president reagan president mm-hmm. reagan president reagan president bush president bush president bush today you know and you're just yeah. like, jesus christ and then like and the local news is talking about like what Senate and Congress did during the day. And so mm-hmm. like you're kind it's hard not to pick that stuff up. Yeah. And like it it it's it was just like I think disillusioned is a light term. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you saw like the way that people were afforded to live in mm-hmm. the district who were in places of authority. But then you actually saw the people who lived in the district who lived in absolute poverty. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that like at a very young age too, it was totally clear that like poverty isn't just something that happens. It's a 100% political and economic thing that gets legislated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there are people who are 24 hours a day writing legislation to benefit them and keep others oppressed. It's fucked. So, so you get you start getting into that stuff like deeply. I mean, like besides the news, you start getting into politics. It, there was no way for me to avoid yeah, it not yeah, yeah. affecting me. You know what yeah. I mean? Because like, and and so, and because of that, I think it really just like made me when I left high school, being like, "What the fuck do I want to do?" It's like anything that I would do, it's it's part. <laughs> it's going to be part of like a larger machinery that's either going to like you know, like take someone else's like labor 
or resources mm-hmm. away from them and sell it at a higher price. Yeah. Or it's going to be like, or do I just go to college and get a degree and just try to like push through that way? And like, like I said, I knew I wanted to like keep playing drums, but I had no fucking idea what I want to do because I thought everything was just fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and there was such a huge level of hate, you know, wow. like in, in me for- Were you an- angry kid when you graduated? So you're angry? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Fuck like- the world, yeah. Totally. Like, I just fucking I hated everything, you know what I mean? So Hardcore Punk was a good place for you then? It was. I mean, and, and I mean- Probably I, saved your life in a sense, too. I mean, it, it saved my life because it just, because it plugged me into like- something bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, before I found independent music, it just like, I had this, you know, I I always felt like when I was growing up, whether it was a TV or a answering machine or a VCR, everything fucking broke. Everything that my mother spent her hard-earned money Mm. into buying, everything broke or fell apart. Yeah. And this was, you know, the age before things needed software updates every six yeah. months. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. like when you bought something, you hoped it would just last for a while. Yeah. And when it didn't, th- I think that also really contributed to my disillusionment towards like the world and, you know, manufacturing mm-hmm. and production and overall capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> because you're just like, okay, everything that I spend my heart and that I, that my mom spends her hard earned money on falls the fuck apart. I fucking hate it. Like, why can't something just work? Is this what we're doing? We're just tricking each other into buying this shit that's just going to fall apart? And it just drove me nuts. Like, and and I just like, I didn't want to play. You know what I mean? I just, I didn't want to play, but I had to. Mm -hmm. And, um. Were you working out of school? Um, I started working when I was, um. I, luckily my mom just wanted me to focus on like high school like yeah. when I was in high school. Yeah. So, um, I did like, I went to university of Maryland, um, after I graduated and, um, and I started working, I guess it was 1999 at that point when I was 19. Yeah. Um, in my second year of college, um, the black hat needed, people to work you know yeah and like yeah i mean like before then i like had like jobs jobs in like the coffee shop you know what i mean and like the bagel place and you know (laughs) like i worked you know just Mm -hmm. like places in like suburban strip malls you know just to you know build work ethic and stuff like that yeah like you know um so i did work on and off like while i was in high school and stuff but um yeah put away a little bit of money you know to help me pay for my books when I hit college and shit like that. Yeah. But, um, but I, I could, you know, again, like I was in, in awe of the black cat when I first started going there. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, when I started working there, I was like, this is nuts. Yeah. Why are they it's awesome? Why are they letting me work here? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what was your, uh, what was your major in college? Like, what did you, like, what was you, what were you doing there? Um, I, uh, I did sociology okay. and, um, there was this program that had developed called American American Studies, and and I didn't know what it was, but there was like a picture of Homer Simpson and like the brochure, and I'm like, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Yeah, and uh, and 
and it was basically this like this this like two year focus group within the four year major of sociology that kind of like took like a cultural anthropology approach and an American history approach, okay. like fused them together to give me a degree that I never used. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and it's funny because like I did three. Well, so like by the time I was going to college, you know, like and I started working at Black Hat. Uh, I was still playing in bands, but um, there was a dude from, I guess he was from Boston or Connecticut or something. This dude named Steve Kim who had moved to DC to go to Georgetown. Okay. And Steve Kim saw me playing in kind of like these lesser, you know, like every band I feel like is like kind of like on the outskirts of obscurity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Which is, but I mean, if, (laughs) if I can, if I can say one thing, it's like the things that I've done in music that have meant the most to me haven't put a dime in my pocket. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's just like, it's just such evidence that like, if you love something, just like do it. Cause, mm-hmm. cause the, the day you plant the seed isn't necessarily the same day you're going to eat the fruit, you know, like I love that you, you just, I really, 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 really encourage everyone just to like do what you love because you never know what way it's going to unfold. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And you do it because you love it. You first do it because you love it. Yeah, man. and and you do it again, and you do it again, and that's what practice is, and, and that's what life is. You know, mm-hmm. like you just you have to keep swinging the bat. Yeah. Um. And like you know. So there was this, so Steve Kim was like, this guy's a good drummer. Yeah. Ken Olden, you should check this dude out. Okay. And, and, and that blew my mind Mm because Ken Olden was in damn that. He was Ken Olden, And Battery. Yeah. And, um. What up, Ken Olden? What up, Ken? (laughs) (laughs) Um. And, you know, that, you know, like that the knowledge of my playing, you know, like yeah. transferred over to, to Brian McTurnan's like yeah. sphere. And, and, you know, again, I, when I first started going to shows at like at chamber of sound, I mm-hmm. started becoming aware that like there was this whole other like world of hardcore and indie, you know, like my like love of like ashes and battery, you yeah. know, like, Oh my God, Brian McTurnan wants yeah to do a, band he wants awesome. me to play drums for him yeah, yeah, yeah and so like i was doing this band with like uh brian like brian had just moved back from boston at the end of the 90s yeah and uh he had this studio at 14th and longfellow and so um brian was like he was trying to i think he was trying to like decide whether he wanted to like do another band because milt town had just broken up too yeah he's like should i do another band or should i do the studio thing down in dc like really hard so like he had these songs and the band was called uh i think it was called my best mistake okay and it was me and mike schleibaum yeah and uh john henry of darkest (laughs) hour and uh my other band the primals and um and brian had all these songs written and like we played a couple shows and uh and and then, you know, like a couple of years, I, he was still in that studio, but Explosion, this band from Boston, yes, was um, was doing an EP with him. Okay. And um, 
And Brian asked me to come down and track the drums for the EP that they were doing. Wow. Okay. And so, were they a band that already played shows, or this kind of just doing a Explosion sp- had already put out the first two J Tree records. Okay. 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 Like they at this point are established. Okay. I think yeah they you know like people knew who the band was, mm-hmm. and I was already a fan of theirs. Okay. You know and um. And Brian was like, "Yeah, you should you should come down. They're in the studio right now, but um, but you should come track their drums." Okay. And I was like, "Okay." Wow, man. <laughs> so I and so I met the Explosion guys that day, and uh, I learned the EP that they were trying to record, and I recorded those drums in a day for them. Wow. And um, and you know it was you know Brian McTurnan's kind of validation, you know, that um really made me. I don't know. It, like it, awesome. it, it set me on this different course of of playing. Yeah. But also, uh, it, it was it felt like a different trajectory all of a sudden. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, um, it's awesome. It's somebody acknowledging like your skills. You know what I mean? Like saying, "Check out this drummer. He's a great drummer." You know what I mean? Just just that one thing could change everything. You know? Dude, it it blew my mind because yeah. you know, like after joining Explosion. It was seriously like going from the farm leagues to the majors mm-hmm. because my first, you know, the explosion, I think after I tracked that record, it was called to steal this. Um, I, they, they did a U.S. tour with the queers, uh, with their old drummer, Dan Colby. And then, um, and then I think that was like November or something like that. And then I got a call from their guitar player at the time, Sam cave. And Sam was like, Hey, we got offered this, uh, tour in Europe in January of 2001 mm-hmm. with uh oh and before that like uh before Brian like kind of pulled me up from from the bullpen to work with him <laughs> um Ken Olden's friend Isa yeah had this hardcore band good called clean, good, good clean, clean fun yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and so like I kind of got to cut my like hardcore teeth and go to Europe with good oh, clean wow. fun awesome. and um and that was cool like you know like touring you know in a pre nine eleven world. Yeah. Um, and you know, seeing hardcore in Europe and, you know, like, and I got to, you know, really tour around the United States with good, clean fun. And that was your first time going overseas. Yeah. That was my first time touring. Awesome, and I was like 19, I think, Sick. you know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this That's is a good first tour. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and so good, clean fun kind of like was where I kind of got to like, you know, cut hardcore teeth, you know? Yeah. Um, and then explosion was like, excuse me. It was, it was another level. Yeah, the first tour I did with them was with Sick of It All. Wow! In in, in January two thousand one. Okay. And the business were on a couple of dates, and so it really felt like going from like, you know, not like Good Clean Fun was the farm leagues, but like it was like it was like um, who was that band with the youth brush? Crucial Youth. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> brush, 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 brush three times a day. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, yeah, I was like grateful that I was like part of like a a band that was kind of like satirical because there definitely totally. was enough around in the hardcore scene that, that yeah, not a serious, yeah, 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 for that sure. could have been poked fun at. And Issa did a good job poking fun at some stuff. I think the coolest thing we did was we did this Prince cover of Let's Go Crazy. Wow. And we had a picture disc where Issa put his face on Prince's body on the purple motorcycle. Wow, man. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking awesome. I got to find that. It's pretty fucking wow. hysterical. <laughs> Mr. Issa's face on Prince's body. And uh, 
that was fun. But um, so the explosion, you tore a sick about a while. Okay. Yeah, it felt like wow, like okay, I'm not part of like a funny satirical hardcore band anymore. I'm part of this band that's like you know people care about and mm-hmm. like it's kind of like oh okay serious business. yeah serious yeah. i mean shit we're fucking sharing a tour bus we're sick of it all these dudes from fucking new york they're gonna crazy. probably kill us you know what i mean <laughs> like and then like we met ock we met craig and, yeah you know pete and lou and like fucking nicest most down mm-hmm. fucking dudes and um so like and that and that was amazing because i you know i needed to drop out of school for a little while Okay. To do that. So I put College Park, you know, like for good reason on hold because yeah. like, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing with this degree that I was trying to work at. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Other than like, that's what my mother wanted me to do, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So um, 2001 was pretty insane because like we came right back from that sick of it all tour in Europe and we jumped right into the tour with you guys, H2O, Snapcase, Face to Face. That's why you guys were on that tour. Wow. Yeah, we opened those shows for, wow. for the second half like around the US. Because Dashboard was on some of it too, I think. Were they opening? Before that, yeah. That was yeah. a crazy tour. Wow. So yeah, I just saw a flyer from that from the Riviera in Chicago. Okay. Like um from two thousand one the other day. Damn. Yeah, that was and, a great tour. I remember that tour. Face to face. Wow. Yeah. Face. And so and and here and and now that like I'm sharing a stage with you, I'm like, this is kind of fucking nuts to me because this is the same dude that I was like buying his seven inch of chamber of sound <laughs> and I was singing along yeah. to like temperature and yeah, like, yeah. you know, and now we're touring. Yeah. And so awesome, man. again, this, this other example of like these things I like used to revere just coming back into mm-hmm. my life. And now they're like a mile marker of how, time has kind of been marching on and where I'm at now. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. And yeah. That was 20 years ago. It's crazy. Yeah. It <laughs> doesn't feel like it. That's great. That was a crazy tour. That was a really fun tour, man. Yeah. I forgot, I forgot how long that was, but that was a great lineup too, man. What blew my mind was that the dude who was tour managing that tour for face to face pyro, if you yeah. remember him, mm-hmm. uh, when Roger Gassman was doing beyond the streets in LA, like a couple uh, years ago, I was talking about Pyro to like one of the dudes who was building the Venice Pavilion mm-hmm. and then like magic the next day Pyro just like shows up. Wow, he's an old school graffiti guy too. Yeah, yeah He yeah. shows up with like Risk and like wow, uh, man. Bagel from Venice was like there chilling, taking pictures and stuff and it was just like bizarre. <laughs> so I caught up with Pyro and I was like, hey man, I don't know if you remember me. But I did that tour in 2001. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're familiar. It's good to see you. You know, <laughs> um, Small world, man. Yeah. And um so after that tour with you guys, uh, after that leg ended, I we jumped on with uh, Rocket from the Crypt and International Noise Conspiracy. Jesus, man, and were you living in Boston at the time? Did you move to Boston for the for the band? I I moved up there to like practice and rehearse, okay. but I hadn't moved any of my shit there okay. yet, you know. But yeah. I eventually did move up there, um, and it, you know, and after that, you know, Rocket from the Crypt. Uh, international noise conspiracy tour then i then it was summer and we were you know like warp tour gave us like a bunch of offers and then and i think that was i mean all those warp tours kind of blend together but i i uh the lineups were good of course great (laughs) great lineups back then yeah yeah the lineups were good and um so you guys were non-stop man yeah we went six months straight like hard as soon as i joined the band 
Wow. And um, and and it was just like, this is this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like after you know of after spending high school and half of college, like having n- no clue as to what I want to do. Yeah. Suddenly, I'm like, this this makes sense. You know. Mm-hmm. And so explosion went hard for a couple of years, and um, and and we were you know kind of going so hard that it was kind of just like, what are we doing? And like we were about to kind of call it quits, but then like some like major labels started getting interested, and we were just like, okay, like, yeah, maybe we should sign. You what label we? What we guys on before that? Um, but before we signed, yeah. Um, well, we were all going off the momentum of two jade tree records oh, and the tree. one revelation record okay. which was the re- which was the record that i uh m- met those dudes with okay but um um so dre tree to a major yeah yeah it, it was it was it was kind of nuts because like it was making the decision to jump to a major label was one of those things that like you kind of dream about it as a kid, you know what I mean? But when it's right in front of you, it's like the super scary, man. It is because it's like, it's like the blending of like your art and your commerce at once. And you know, you only kind of got one shot. So you don't want to fuck it up and you want to give your most authentic, authenticity, your authentic, like, you know, version of yourself. But you also want to kind of like appease, like the revenue gods that are kind of like breathing down your neck and be like, give me a hit. And the fan base and like, Back then, people were so critical of what label you were on. Yeah, it was it's, it's all they cared about. And Labels. message boards had just started, and just like yeah, and you know, like indies were kind of getting bought up as subsidiaries of majors at that time too. Yeah. You know, but that actually kind of worked in our favor because like we were able to use some of the label money we got from Virgin, who we ended up signing with. Oh wow! And and using that to fund our own label. So we had this label called Tarantulas. Right. That um, we were able to put out uh, one of the Bronx's first records. Wow. We did a picture disc for the Bronx. Uh, we put out uh, a record for, ourse- for ourselves called Sick of Modern Art. Okay. That, um, that, that I think like that was, that was one of my favorite recordings, Sick of Modern How Art. Was that? How was the reaction for the Major Laywood debut? Um, I, it was good, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so was there like blowback for going to a major or anything like that or... No, it just okay, seemed cool. like it was like the way that like yeah. bands were going at that so time. So many people have it. And like it was just kind of like it wasn't not punk to do it. It definitely didn't carry the same stigma it did of mm-hmm. like selling out in the 90s. It just seemed like it was just the natural progression of the music industry yeah, at totally. that time, you know? Mm-hmm. So it actually felt like pretty normal that like we were moving forward as a punk band, you know? Um, Virgin, that's cool. Who was signed to a major label, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like things don't always keep going that way. And labels were falling yeah. apart too. You know totally. what I mean? So it wasn't too long before, you know, like we didn't have a deal with Virgin Angel. Was it just one album you did with them? Um, yeah, we, well, the second, yeah. Cause then we, we did another record called Buried Me Standing after Black Tape. Um, and we were going what happened uh it was usually like stuck on a major for like freaking six to eight records those deals are crazy back then yeah i think i want to say virgin like was merging with another uh, that's what happened to us our shit merged so we got let go on the label it was so perfect 
originally like we didn't like originally we weren't going to be letting go but like we changed management and the manager like was able to get us out of our contract and like let us have the record back but we didn't do anything with the record because we didn't have a label gotcha so it wasn't until like a bunch of years later that kate hilts was uh kind enough to press up bury me standing so we actually did the the you know the second major label record that we had and we were able to you know get it out thanks to kate wow yeah shit it's crazy man yeah um and how much longer was the band after the major label did they break up you guys break up i think like around like 2006 2007 Mm -hmm. or something like that but um like around that time like I was like, well, let me go back to DC because, like, the band had moved, Explosion moved from Boston down to New York, and oh, that's right, that's right. So we were all those living. guys still live there too. Some of them, right? Yeah, yeah a lot of them live there. Matt wow. still lives there. Uh, Damien still lives there. It's awesome. Um, and so I, I moved from New York back to DC in like 2007, and um, and the band's totally over. I mean, we weren't playing shows. Yeah. I, I did a, you know, Sam Cave had left the band uh, before then too. And I, I think I went to Toronto and I did a, an EP with Sam under the title Mass Panic Kid. And okay. Another little like obscure EP that's just floating <laughs> around out there. But um, but Sam was a great songwriter. And so cool. like we wanted to kind of document our friendship and time together. So we did that. It's awesome. But, uh, you know, around like I think 2007, 2008, I'm back in DC and my friend John Davis, who got me into all this music. He's like, hey, like, yeah, like, do you, do you want to do this band I'm working on? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so he was working with this girl named Laura uh, Burren, and she she has a band out here now called the Minor Birds. Okay. And uh, so they're doing this, like, male-female-fronted, um, just, like, very, very indie project. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm into this. Cool, let's do it. And so I, I learned their songs, and I was playing for them, and we had a record that came out on Saddle Creek Records. Okay. And um, we did that for a little while, and then things kind of shifted shape. And, you know, that band, John wanted to go in more of, like, a power power pop direction. Yeah. Um, And it kind of streamlined into this band um, with uh, – it was called Title Tracks. Okay. And um, it was me. Before and, Title Fight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was me and uh, and John Davis singing and playing guitar. And, and John, dear, while I was doing Explosion stuff, John started this band in D.C. called Q and Not You. Okay. And Q and Not You um, got, uh, you know, they were running with like uh, – you know, this, this other band called black eyes, uh, that was like creating this like turn of the century, like community, um, in DC that Ian McKay was like, I'm into this. Wow. I love what you guys are doing. I love, I, you know, he really appreciated like what, like just the energy that cool. their scene was kind of resurrecting yeah. that he hadn't seen since, since back then, yeah. the days of, you know, Hoover, Kerosene, four, five, four, slant six, um, Cupid car club in the wake of nation of Ulysses, you know? So, um, kind of like the same way that he recognized the obvious energy that, you know, was around Fugazi and everything in the nineties yeah. at the end of the nineties, it was kind of like, 
Mm. You know, yeah. everything was kind of flat. It was. You know, and then at the beginning of the 2000s, Q and Not You and Black Eyes were playing like bills with each other and they were just feeding off that same energy. We're just like, okay, let's see who can do better tonight. You know what I mean? Let's yeah. see who can have a better show. And and Discord really saw that and recognized it. And so uh, John was playing drums for that band, Q and, Q and Not You, at the time. So they had broken up, yeah. which kind of led him to doing the, the band Georgie James that was on Saddle Creek and which evolved into title tracks and Michael Cotterman from um, The Loved Ones oh, yeah. and Kid Dynamite. Yep. He was back in D.C. And, uh, and he was playing bass. This girl, Meredith uh, Munoz, was playing keyboards. And, um, and through John's past relationship with Discord and Q&IU, uh, the title tracks first seven inch Ian McKay says, yeah, let's put it out. Wow, man. So, uh, so total full circle for you. That's yet again, Discord release. <laughs> that's fucking amazing. man. So yeah. yet again, I'm, I'm just this kid who grew up in, yeah. in DC and Maryland yep. who started feeling his place in the world and, and being part of this larger fabric of music and an independent life and independent music. Yeah. And, the, the the very scene and label that gave me meaning and autonomy and purpose is suddenly saying like yeah it's crazy let's man. put out a record for you you know and like when i've been tripping yeah dude, when i got the 45 back and i saw my name on that discord release i was tripping it's crazy bro yeah that's amazing man and and did you come see you guys play yeah wow you, you would see us play sometimes tripping out yeah Dude, the most trip out time I ever had was this band that I was doing with Amanda Mackay. Like That's the homie. What up, Amanda? What up, Amanda? She's we, the best. We were doing this band called uh Sham Wow. Okay. And it was like kind of like a joke band, but like uh, we needed <laughs> to do it because it was part of this thing called Run for Cover, and Run for Cover was a cover show where all these DC musicians would kind of like break off into different bands and stuff. Oh, wow. And then they would do like themes like um and it was a benefit to raise money for fort reno park because as soon as fugazi broke up and there wasn't like the annual like thousand people event that like people would come and donate and stuff like that it was a lot harder to keep fort reno to pay gus the sound man the guy from 930 who came out with the truck and did the sound you know like there were expenses to fort reno yeah and so this benefit show Run for Cover became a great way to raise money for next season's Got you. Uh, shows at Fort Reno. So um, we did this band called Sham Wow, and it was a Sham 69 cover band wow. where we dressed up the guy, like the guy from Sham Wow, like <laughs> with the khaki pants and the blue shirt. Holy and, shit. And uh, we just did a Sham 69 cover band. Like That's amazing. To give you an idea of like some of the other bands that would play, like uh, there was this band called Just Oats. That played all the notes. Yeah, but it was just, just oats. oats. It was like they came out and like one after another on stage. And it was just oats, and another guy dressed just as oats. And oh my god, it's fucking amazing! <laughs> but uh, so <laughs> Sham Wow, we're up there playing. If the kids united, and Ian is off on stage, right, just kind of watching us. And Alec Mackay, for whatever reason, like gets kind of wound up, and so he gets up on stage and he's singing with Amanda. And I I remember just looking out over my kick drum and just being like, that's really. Amanda, that's really Alec, <laughs> and yeah. that's Ian over there watching. Us. Wow, that's amazing! And like, it was just another one of those kind of like 
out of body experiences <laughs> like where you're just like i'm here and i am so grateful for my life yeah so you know? what, what year was that when that record came out um we, we i mean shamwow never released no not that oh. one the, <laughs> no, the discord 70 so i need some footage of shamwow i'd love to see that man <laughs> i don't know if any shamwow footage exists it's, okay that's kind of cool it doesn't but it's it's crazy um when, um, did, that, when did the discord 70 come out i think it might have come out in 2008 okay um but it's awesome um, man so yeah um you guys play a lot of shows in that band uh we played yeah we played some like it was i really love doing that band because yeah. you know i mean like it was it was playing music with the guy that got me into it yeah it's cool, you know man. what i mean like it felt so much like home it felt so comfortable yeah and um that's cool you maintain a relationship throughout your whole life with him throughout all your music projects and everything yeah awesome yeah he's seen you grow too you know yeah i I, you know i i love that guy so much and i owe so much of like you know even me meeting you and me meeting brian and you know like yeah and and me you know working at black cat and like here's um man there's so many different ways to go you know like when i started working at black cat one of my first shifts um mark haggerty Okay. was managing and and i knew that mark was in gray matter you know great band super underrated by the way listeners check out gray matter incredible albums incredible band incredible uh, live show everything man they're so underrated man i listen to them all the time they come up my on my list on my uh whatever my play on my phone I'm like dude and the craziest part was that dante who owned black hat was the drummer for gray matter yep. you know and um bernie the guy who uh came on managing uh and like you know helping me out more at black hat after mark left for san francisco bernie was like in 9353 and nuclear crayons he, yeah. he played with um rollins band he like did two records with rollins band um dante's father bobby uh bobby was always around he was always in the kitchen whenever i would show up to Sick. work and bobby was um you know baking the vegan chocolate peanut butter frosting cake Sick. and making the uh, seitan and clearing the beer tap lines and stuff because Bobby was the guy who owned and operated Food for Thought. Nice. And, you awesome. know, like, you know, Fugazi and Junkyard Band, they were one of my first shows. Like Hoover, Slant 6, um, Fugazi was another one of my first shows at uh, Richie Coliseum, um, probably 1993. Um, but... I, I got to see this band called Severin that Mark Haggerty was in okay. post Grey Matter at Food for Thought. That was like another okay. one of my first shows that I went wow. to. And and uh and and so Mark Haggerty and I recently started talking, just you know, sending messages back and forth over Instagram of all places, you know what I mean? But <laughs> but he posted up a picture of Bobby because Bobby, Dante's father, recently passed. Okay. And you know, and my father, you know, even more recently passed. And so, like, I, I reached out to Dante and just sent him my condolences. And I was talking to Mark Haggerty. And and Bobby was the dude who, like, taught all of those Discord guys how to eat vegetarian. Wow. Because I, I didn't know that. Because he was cooking for him. You know what yeah. I mean? He was running Food for Thought. Bobby was the guy that taught Alec Mackay how to fix motorcycles. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, like, father figure to everybody, yeah. Yeah. And he just had this like, he had this quiet, peaceful, 
like nature about him that was just so lovely. Yeah. And when he was done with this stuff, he would just get on his motorcycle as the, like right about his doors were opening and he'd just take off. You know, he'd done yeah. his work for the day. And 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 it was around this time that I was like talking to Dante and I was talking to Mark Haggerty and it's like and Bur- you know, like these are people that like I would just go and work with when I was like nineteen, twenty and mm-hmm. stuff. But then like thinking about like, wait, hold on, you were in ignition and and gray, <laughs> yeah. and gray matter and iron cross and, cross and fucking three and like yeah and and these relationships that you know it's amazing that that i had been you know kind of not taking for granted but seeing in like an everyday work context yeah like it kind of like recently very recently re-blew my mind you know yeah because i was like I, I i can't believe that i was in such proximity with all of these people that were such an integral part pioneers of, and stuff yeah of making dc dc mm-hmm. you know yeah these dudes you're working with but they have a history of music yeah they're super humble just completely working class yeah the the most humble the most like i'm doing this and i'm <laughs> yeah it's, it's almost like they they like they weren't like they were just doing it and and not expecting it to be as amazing as they are. But the more people you talk to about Three and Swan Street, the more people are just like, that's my favorite fucking song. I mm-hmm. love that. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they came out early 80s or something, right? Yeah, I had to. Yeah, it was around Revolution Summertime. I remember yeah. seeing Fagazi's one of the first shows. Me and my brother went up there, and in they were handing out lyric sheets in the crowd. And I still have to find mine. Top friend found his. He would walk in the crowd, Ian, and pass out lyric sheets so we'd all have the words to sing along. It was crazy, man. Those yeah. first shows are like... So surreal, man. Just the whole scene is so special, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> just get, I'm so lucky I get to live outside of Maryland, go to those shows early on, Wilson Center, all those yeah venues, and just be a part of that. It's just something so special. And the go go too, how that goes hand in hand. Yeah, with the whole scene. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's un- only DC. Yeah, you know? it's, nowhere else. And is there a go go scene in LA or any other places? Do you know? No, I mean like I I helped um this band called TCB with some backline in 2019. They okay. came out here and uh but um But they weren't from here. No, they came from DC to play here and That's what I'm just, saying, yeah. Just a couple months ago, um TOB band and show, they came out here and they played in uh Crenshaw. And, nice. Um, they played in Degnan Street and um that was amazing. And I've heard rumors the backyard band is gonna be coming out for a Juneteenth performance in the wow. same spot. Wow. So it'd be amazing to see Backyard Band and Big G. I know Backyard go, Band. Oh, man. Even when like EU doing the butt blew up, it still didn't it still didn't become a trend in other cities to, to start uh go go bands. It was such a DC, you know. I mean, there's something really special in the DNA of the percussionists. Mm-hmm. Like and and I've even spoken, there's a dude living out here now named Malachi Johns who used to play guitar uh, for Northeast Groovers. Okay. And um, and we were talking and I was like, man, it's like we're, we're getting a couple go-go bands out here, you know, here and there, yeah. you know, for like special performances and stuff like that. But like what, like who else is out here? Like what conga players are out here that I can link up with as a drummer mm-hmm. and maybe try to start a go-go band out here. Sick. And Malachi was like, man, there's no conga players out here. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like you, you need, first of all, you, it's like you need, you need the lineage. 
Like you yeah. need people who understand the pocket beat of the conga, mm-hmm. and you you not only need people who know it, you need it. You need people who like have it in them who have that crank in that pocket and like they have that kind of like as as buggy and sauce from the backyard band are known as the engine and the transmission okay need to work together to like develop that lock that makes it go yeah you know and so um i mean it'd be amazing if there was a go-go scene that could evolve you know i mean like i thought about it in the same ways of like you know the middle class sounded different from bad brains and necro sounded different mm-hmm. from, you know, yeah. uniform choice, but like, it's a good ha- point, but how could you get that go, go DNA and how could you kind of like replant it? How c- so it could like take root in some other city? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, like, I, I guess the nuances of punk, just like fast, loud, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like you can do that and people can hear it in other places on other sides of the country and be like, cool, yeah, I can do that. Here's my take on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you can't really do that with Go-Go. It's like you need a very specific understanding of the West African rhythms intersecting like with the polyrhythms of like funk. Mm-hmm. Um, can you play it pretty good? I mean, I can play it all right, but I mean, I'm just a white guy who just loved go-go. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I know you do. I know you like doing breakbeats too, um, I, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, in when I went back to college in 2008, I started my own label to fulfill like an internship credit because okay. I was like, okay, now that I'm done with kind of like explosion and trying to like be a That's major Blacks label, Records. yeah, yeah. So I, I started like a, a label just to print up 45s for drum breaks, and I called it Blacks Records. Yeah. Like and um. And the first 45 I put out, I I sold the last couple of pressings of the first one to this this guy in Alphabet City in Manhattan. Really? This guy named Jared Box. He was, like, it the, was it the Dean Baltaloma Sessions? It was not the Dean Baltaloma okay, okay. Sessions. Okay. Um, it was the, the first one was the AB's original breaks. Okay. And it was... This so I sold him the last like I think like five or ten copies that I had of that first pressing, and he was. I, th- I was just coming back from some European tour when he hit me up, and I'm like, I'll be back in a couple of days. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the records. He's like, okay, cool, because we because I gotta get I gotta get him. We got this guy who wants to hear him, and so I'm like, okay. So I mm-hmm. I sent him to him, and then the following week he sent me this email with like an MP3 attached to it, and like the email was like, thanks to everybody who came out last night, like. Zulu Nation was in the house. Like uh, even Queen Latifah came out. It was amazing. I'm like, what? So I open up the MP3, and it's audio of one of my drum breaks. That's you know the most go-go centric drum break on the 45. Wow. And it's live audio inside of Santos Party's house. Yeah. Santos Party House with Q-tip going live over it. Come on, man. Yeah. So he's freestyling over it, or? He's freestyling over it, dude, and he's calling out African body. He's calling out Zulu Nation. He's like, and in my mind, when I'm hearing this audio for the first time, it's just like, like that's I, fucking crazy, man. And that's a beat that you wrote and you did. It's your beat, yeah, yeah. 
Holy and shit! Yeah, and like, like it's like, what, what do you? What's after that? It's like Q-tips rhyming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. What can happen after this? African Mabata's there and Queen Latifah. I mean, like, I wasn't <laughs> in the room. I don't know who the hell was there, but you can hear the call and response yeah. when he's like going back, like, like back and forth between himself and the crowd. Mm-hmm. He's saying Zulu, Gestapo, Zulu, Gestapo, Zulu, wow. and you hear that everyone in the crowd going Gestapo. And was like, it Jimmy Gestapo from Murphy's Law? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jimmy. Um, that's crazy, man. Yeah. Fuck. And again, it's like one of these things. It's like I'm a 13 year old listening to fucking Tribe, dude. Of course, the greatest. So, suddenly, I'm a 28 year old man listening to fucking Q-Tip going over my drum break. And I'm like, how did this thing, how did this person, how did this thing that I once revered come back into my life's orbit, but now I'm somehow tied into him to, through the gift of music? Yeah, and it was, it was a seven inch he got too, right? So he converted it and then put a thing in it. It was the, I sent him, wow, like man. he, because the, the, the way, this is how it turned out. Like the dude explained it to me. This guy, Jared Box, he was DJing in one floor of Santos Party House. And at the time, Rich Medina and Q-Tip were DJing one floor above him. Yeah. So this dude, Jared, who was the record buyer for the store in Alphabet City, I can't remember the name of the store. He, um, he was like, he told Rich Medina and Q-Tip about it. He's like, I got this dude in DC that's cutting this break that kind of sounds like a go-go break. Wow. I think you're going to flip out over it. So that's why it's like was all urgent about like, you got to get me the record. And Wow, man. Yeah. And again, much like seeing my name and the Discord logo right next to it on the back of that 45. Yeah. <laughs> hearing Q-Tip going over this drum like 45 that that's I crazy, cut man. and pressed independently myself because of a University of Maryland requirement to like create an internship that I didn't <laughs> want to go fucking intern for anyone else. I'm like, I guess I'll create my own label so I can use that as my internship credit for a record label. Yeah, it's amazing, man. And Super DIY. So <laughs> like, yeah, it, again, that's a sick moment. It didn't put a fucking dime in my pocket, yeah. but it means the world to me. Yeah, dude. That's fucking crazy, man. Fuck, does anything else happen to any other beats after that, your beats? Um, like, how long did you do that for? I know you did that for a while. I, I put out two vinyl releases, okay. and then I used the label to kind of... I had this hardcore band in 2009 called Domino Team that I was doing in D.C., and okay. like I put our, our full length up like on, on Black's records just like as a digital release. Cool. Um, I was also in, doing a band with Schleibaum uh, and... Uh, Jason Yawn, this guy that was in a band called Trial by Fire. Um, we had this band called Beasts of No Nation around the same time, like 2008-ish, 2009-ish. Um, but then the Idris Elba movie came out. So pushing the band further into obscurity, yeah. we changed the band's name to Free Children of Earth. Free Children of Earth. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you in Darkest Hour too, right? For a minute? Yeah. No, no, no. I was never in Darkest oh, Hour. Okay. I, 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 no, I just grew up with those dudes and chilled with them and used to go to their shows. But uh, so you, you stayed nonstop your whole life, dude. It's crazy. I mean, I just, I kept playing from band to band to band. Yeah, doing I mean, different things. And I think that's what drummers have to do. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You just kind of have to keep up, playing that, yeah. to, to figure out, you know, which is going to be the best wave to ride you know what mm-hmm. i mean and when they come you gotta you gotta take them and that's why i dropped out of school and did explosion because that was a good wave you know yeah, what i mean man. yeah and like some of the waves are like shorter but they're just as sweet you know yeah. what i mean like <laughs> yeah when i was doing a band out out here in 2015 16 
now I guess maybe it started in 2016 called the primals. Yeah, the primals and yeah. you know, we started, um, you know, writing and then, you know, I hit up John Reese from rock from the crypt yep. being like, Hey man, we got an album worth of songs, you know, like, and he gave me the thumbs up and he was like, this is good. Like, I want to, I want to do this record for you guys. That's cool. And like, it was the, you know, it was John Reese's validation that was like, oh, we should find a label to like really put this out, which is how we ended up talking to Southern Lord Records, okay. Greg Anderson, of uh, son. And, um, and, and that kind of, that, that working with John Reese led to him asking me to play a show with Rocket from the Crypt. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Shit. And like, and I, I was not expecting it anywhere, but like when we were in the studio, I think John saw that like I wasn't the same drummer that he toured with in 2001 when Explosion was opening the shows for Rocket from the Crypt. Got you. You know, he saw me as a different player. He saw the songs That's that I was amazing. playing for and helping write kind of evolved a little bit more. Yeah. And uh, and and Mario Rubalcaba was going to be, I think, his other band, Earthless, was going to be in South America at the time that Rocket got offered this show. So that's why John Reese was like, hey, can you play drums for me? And yet wow, again, man. just some band that I yeah. looked up to like hell when I was a teenager. Yeah. Suddenly, I'm in the driver's seat holding the tempo together. Like, it, it just... So you played you play one show with them? I played a show with them. We played with Deftones at Petco Park. Wow. in san diego and it was it was a great time Dude. yeah that's amazing it was it was unreal <laughs> yeah and then and then the battery stuff obviously too did you ever play stuff for battery back then you just it was a friend nope i was just like that tour just happened that we did it was just they wanted yeah they i was just it. a fan in the front row yeah like loving battery great fucking band loving battery to death i'm so late to the game with them because i knew the name i knew all those kids for my whole life and then but actually touring with them and hearing those songs is incredible songs man so fun dude and when brian asked me to play for them it was that same feeling as the rocket show the same feeling as like the title tracks release on discord the same feeling as hearing q-tip on my drum Bro. break record i was like i can't believe this dude that i used to idolize is asking me to play drums for him yeah yeah, yeah. and then we're on a tour bus in europe together <laughs> that you know? was crazy like, dude it was such a fun tour man and i mean i think that's why i'm i just like really 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 want to reiterate just like do what you love because you never know how it's going to unfold or where it's going to take you this is it's in the or same where it's journey gonna take you yeah mm -hmm. you know but i like how you also stepped up and you do like um you're doing production and stage and all that stuff too behind the scenes shit i mean i i went in that direction that was golden it, voice i i did end up working for golden voice yeah. and running a stage at coachella yeah and like i think I think I like doing that because I realize, like when I'm on tour, like what do I want when I come into a venue? You know totally. what I mean? I want someone to be like, "Here's your dressing room. Here's here's the Wi-Fi. Here's your stage. Time, Whole different appreciation where you for can it. eat. You know what I mean? So like, I wanted to like make, and a lot of the times it was people that like I knew they were playing the show. Yeah. So it's like I wanna I wanna give you a sense of like home yeah. while you're on the road. I want you to feel. And honestly, the hospitality at Black Hat and nine thirty coming up. Like when you go around the country more and more, people were just like, "I love the salsa at Black Hat," or oh, yeah, 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 "I love the the food at Nine Thirty Club." Yeah, I love the dressing rooms at Nine Thirty Club. I love the stage hands at Nine Thirty Club. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like in in DC, it's like there really wasn't like a, a line between like 
the production people and the ones working the show versus the guys that were on the stage. Yeah. As so much there is out here where there's definitely a, a, a clear line between like, are you building the stage or are you playing the stage? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so for sure, I'm grateful that, you know, I, I can be of service. And also it seemed like a natural progression. Cause like, yeah, hell yeah. I'll be around this show and get a check at the end of the night and not have to split it with five other dudes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Sign me up. So, it's brutal. Like, and uh, doing the stage stuff out in Coachella. I did it once for Golden Voice. It's brutal. Yeah, I was out there for like a week or something in the hotel, my friend. Oh. So I was doing Golden Voice stuff here at the Fonda. That was so, so fun. Yeah. Just stagehand stuff there. But when you got a venue that's built and the sound system's in place, it's a cake. It's, yeah, it's but a piece in, of cake. In, the, in the fucking hot ass sound of Coachella, it's gnarly, man. It it's is metal not, stages and stuff. Fun. You did it a couple times out there? Um, I, it's like back breaking, man. It's fucking. It, it literally broke my back. Yeah, like He's talking about that. Yeah, <laughs> like I uh, when I came out to California, I was like playing and I was like doing bands. I was doing this band called Holy Fever for for a while yep. too before Primal started going, and um, you know, that entire time I was like I was running stages and there was a festival who uh, whose name I I I won't I won't mention. <laughs> um, but I was running a festival stage uh, for a number of years, and like my relationship with that festival led me to working with uh, Golden Voice and yep. Coachella. But um, you know, I I literally worked myself until my back broke last yeah, year. Man. You know, yeah. and and when my back broke, <laughs> I. I mean, all I can say is it happened at the right time. Mm-hmm. Like if if there hadn't been a global pandemic and I had to watch while I was going into surgery and recovering from surgery and watching all my contemporaries like post like, you know, videos and stories and like, hey, check it out. I'm in South America. Hey, I'm doing yeah. this tour. You know, like it would have crushed my soul. Totally. Like being able to kind of... um like just hunker down and weather the storm that was the pandemic, yeah. you know, and, and much less be able to have my health restored, you know, through surgery was, I, I, I can't believe it happened at, at that time, you mm-hmm. know, like it, it, it happened, happened at just the right time. Yeah. You know, and now you're all good now with your back. Now you're surfing, you're back in the water, paddling out again. I'm, I'm you know, doing core exercises i'm i'm drumming like hell i'm you know and, and you look great and you're sober and you're sober since that tour yeah wow like i'm just i'm just yeah i i i wanted to feel life like on full blast i didn't want yeah. any, i didn't want any numbing agents you know yeah. like i wanted to feel all of my feelings and like you know like exposing it as much as i, I loved being on the road it was it was such a heavy schedule touring schedule from like 2001 to like 2008 you, you know, guys like a party seven. band oh yeah i definitely fell into like okay. the like sex drugs rock and roll like, wow you know i was you know i started smoking cigarettes again like, <laughs> i was just like you know like yeah smoking yeah i was just like doing a lot of stuff so that like i wasn't really stoked on but it was just kind of like what you did because that's what people on the road did mm-hmm. you know and like obviously not everyone because yeah. like you know you're just a shining <laughs> example of, of how to just like of, of like absorb life and just shoot it right back you yeah, know what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. but like <laughs> thanks but i you know like i just i played that game you know what i mean and um 
and I put a couple miles on the old <laughs> yeah <laughs> no yeah uh, engine but but there's there's something that just feels so much better and so much more receptive about not feeling the need to numb out yeah you know yeah did, um, did, back to your brother when your brother passed you you were like yo I'm never gonna do I'm never gonna drink again I'm never I'm gonna stay straight as forever now that my brother passed like that or you were just like I think it just made me like it was, I was like a combination of like angry and sad because yeah. I was like you don't like he didn't need to do this like there was there was a part of me that was just like so enamored with like straight edge culture and like you know the way that like you know the discord gods like lived and you know just mm-hmm. made me think like if only my brother had like been able to like see or absorb music. some of the stuff I saw yeah yeah yeah, you know? yeah yeah but but it's also ironic because my brother was the first person who ever pulled me on stage to play drums in front of people before wow like we were in like western Maryland up in the panhandle and he was like playing at some like restaurant bar on a Saturday night and I was like you know he was like come on why don't you play this one with me you know wow he was a lot older yeah he was like 15 16 years older than me he oh, was wow. like he was my brother's uh I mean, he was my dad's son from his first marriage. Got you. So, but, you know, he was always in and out when I was growing up. So he felt like a brother to me. Yeah, you know? man, yeah. Um, and. Um, wow. Yeah. And so, like, it, it really made me just sad, you know. But, yeah. you know, um, on the other end of the spectrum, I had a sister who was so loving and supportive and still to this day is, you know what I mean? And, awesome. And that really, I think that sense of, you know, just companionship and friendship and just like theirness really balanced out like the void that my brother's loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, created, you For know. Sure, yeah, man, yeah. Yeah. Damn, so then it was just you and your mom after that. And my sis. And your sister, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So is she, is she younger? My sister's three years older than me. Okay, okay. Yeah. Was she ever into punk or any of that stuff? She sang for the first band I was in with Ian Chu. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sick. Did she go on after like to stay involved in the music and stuff or no? She just did her own thing. Yeah, she worked on music here and there. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? She had bands, but like um I like she didn't she was she was more academic, you know. Okay. Like she um she went into teaching and Oh, that's cool. You know, that's awesome. She got her PhD, so she's Doctor Black now. Yeah. Dr. Black, that's hard. Can't fuck with Dr. Black. No. <laughs> <laughs> and your mama comes to your bands play? My mom used to, yeah. Yeah. She would love seeing Explosion. That's so cool. One time she came down to Capitol Ballroom to see us play, I think. I wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was ill area back then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So super supportive of your mom and yeah. your sister. and Yeah. My mom was super supportive, you know. And, and, and she was glad that, like, I, I actually went back and finished University of Maryland in, like, 2008, 2009. Yeah. You know, like, she was stoked because even though I still haven't used the fucking degree, she was just like... <laughs> She was just she excited. Did, yeah, did it, right? Yeah, she was excited uh excited that I completed, you know, the thing. So. And so what and so what's on the, what's what for so for now I know you said the pandemic was the perfect time for your back, but is there anything last year that really besides, you know, your back surgery that um I don't know, a new a new look on life or something you learned about yourself or something I mean, what taught you? Just the fact that like even when things like think and feel like they're falling apart that might just be like the perfect time for things to like heal and and, yeah. and regrow you know what i mean Great like point. i i needed i needed that break so i could heal insanity and at the same time 
you know, I I was able to meet up with some uh, guys, Michael Cotterman from Title Tracks, mm-hmm. Kid Dynamite. Um, awesome. Loved ones. He's living out here in Los Angeles. Oh, <clears throat> perfect. And so I'm telling him like, man, we got to get a band. We, uh, like, <laughs> if, if I find something, I'm going to hook you in. Okay. And, and lo and behold, John Coyle from Outspoken is working with his friend Sam Veldy. Okay. Uh, Sam Veldy used to sing for Bluebird and Obliterations and Night Horse. Okay. And um, so you have this kind of like L.A., Orange County, like like uh, writing project that's going on. Awesome. And they're writing all this stuff that sounds a lot like Soulside, like Rites Great. of Spring. Amazing. Gray Matter kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and they showed it to me. Uh, and I was like, yeah, this is this is what I'm going to do. So I, I played what felt natural to me mm-hmm. when they showed me the guitar parts. And Sam was there kind of like coaching, like being like, yeah, this is like kind of like where I want like a push-pull dynamic for this bridge. And and it was Sick. just me and John Coyle like playing first. And like John was so stoked on what I was doing percussively. And then after our first time that we met up, I was like, what are you guys doing for a bass player? They're like, we don't have anybody. And I'm like, Michael Cotterman. So I got Michael. And so because Michael and I grew up in D.C. and like we got these messages of like, you know, of everything Discord pummeled into our head, both live and recorded, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, they were stoked because we gave them like a compliment to like the sound that they were kind of like aesthetically striving for. Yeah, that's cool. And so now we got these demos that our friend Evan, uh, Evan Weiss recorded in Highland Park. And um, we had Stephen McBean uh, from Black Mountain. Um, he uh, he mixed it. Sick. And then we had Brian McTurnan over in uh, Baltimore. He mastered it for us. So awesome. now we got these demos. And so... I want to hear that shit. I love Soul Side too, man. Yeah. So now we have this new band, you know, Laughing Matter. It's called and, Laughing Matter? Okay. Yeah. And Laughing Matter got like, you know, the life breathed into it while the pandemic was mm-hmm. ravaging That's this amazing. country. Yeah, you amazing. know what I mean? Yeah. So like not only did, you know, I learned that like in the past year that like sometimes it takes like a huge pause. A huge pause to like make you kind of like readdress what's important and yeah. heal, but it it you just never know what's gonna come. You just never know mm-hmm. what's gonna grow out of out of the unexpected. Yeah, when do you think this band's gonna come out? When the music will come out? We got the demos now, um, but we're kind of talking about what we should do with it. Yeah, um, you drop um, that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what's the last show you played? Live show. I think the last show I played was like it was either March 9th or March 10th uh, with Explosion. Oh, that's the one you told me. Yeah, at the Bowery. Yeah, that's right. In Bower at the Bowery Ballroom in wow, New York. That's right. While Damn. while shows were being canceled. Yeah. Wow, man. Damn. Was that kind of the reunion little run you're gonna do? Was that kind of a reunion thing back then? Or no. Um, every couple of years, Explosion gets asked to do okay. some like you know good stuff or you know um, you know. Uh, punk rock bowling or the Belting yeah, yeah. Souls will ask us yeah. to do something or you know um, and you know the band still has like our chops together that we can yeah. get together just like have one or two practices and then Sick. like you know play a couple sets so yeah it's awesome yeah we're all like still like good so like everything's 
everything still works, you know. <laughs> Do you have any uh, regrets in your life? Um, I think I regret holding on to like like trauma and and hate mm. for so long. Gotcha. You know what I mean? I I think I used, you know, like shit that happened to me when I was a kid and like the hate I felt towards the world in, in in the complete wrong way. And I shut myself off from a lot of opportunities, a lot of, Mm. you know? Yeah. So I think my one biggest regret is that like, I didn't drop my emotional, spiritual, mental baggage sooner. Mm. That's, that's a heavy one. That's, that's, when did you drop that baggage? I mean, every day. Every day. (laughs) Every day. Yes. Yes. Every day. Right. Yeah. I mean, every, I mean, it's, it's an, it's just like drums. It's an ongoing practice. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes it takes the form of meditation. Sometimes it takes the form of talking with those who have passed, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, taking my hand and putting it on my heart and just saying like, you got this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, You have everything that you need right in here. Yeah. I love that, man. You know? Damn. Um, you can see yourself an optimist or pessimist? Uh, I think I'm a realist. That's what my wife is too. Yeah. <laughs> my wife says the same shit. I'm like, she's, she's a realist, yeah. But I, I do think, you know, um, the natural order of things is to um, is to repair itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't explain why... Um, bones knit and skin heals mm. you know what i mean but there's there's something miraculous about the the healing quality of our, like our organic physical frames it's true that's amazing yeah. you know and and that's yeah. the thing it's like it takes a lot of time to get to this point of even awareness of that look we've been talking for an hour and now we're just getting to how miraculous it is that we're just sitting here speaking with each other yeah. and enjoying each other's presence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it it's heavy. And, yeah. and, a, and a lot of people get so absorbed with the pace of this world that it, it doesn't get arrived at by a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it takes patience. It takes conversation. Yeah. It takes dialogue. It takes, it, it, you know, like, but here we are, this like fucking beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a really great point, man. Fuck. I learned so much about you today, really. It's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else? I mean, not not to not to take it to like a funny part, but you look like uh, Ben Affleck. It's crazy, bro. <laughs> Did people ever tell you that? People and you talk like him too, like with your mellow vibe. It's like <laughs> it's crazy. You like a mix between Ben Affleck and Dave Grohl. It's wild. <laughs> when my hair is short. I look like Ben Affleck, and when it's, my hair gets long, I look like Dave Grohl. It's fucking, <laughs> you know, it's fucking crazy, man. Would you have like a top top five influences? Maybe the top five hip hop or some top five artists or somebody that really inspired you and changed your life when you were young? Or, um, I mean, Ian Mackay, one hundred, yeah, John Davis, um, Tribe, sick, um, Dave Grohl, yeah, man. Um, any go go in there? <laughs> um, you got Ian, Dave Grohl, Drive, 
John Davis. Think not John Davis from Corn, but John Davis from Corm. Um, I mean, it's hard, right? It, it is hard. You know what I mean? Um, it's hard to do a top five of anything. Yeah, especially hip hop. I mean, like other. I mean, the other hip hop artists that I loved growing up were. Um, I love Dell. Dell the Funky Homo Sapiens. Yeah, sick man. I love Dell. I like. I like. Um, Ice Cube was sick. That's I, his cousin too. They're cousins. Those two. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. I guess I. It's buried in my memory bank somewhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> were you a big uh, New York hip hop head or just all around hip hop? Um, I loved Onyx. Sick, bro. <laughs> I loved Onyx. Onyx was sick, man. Uh, I loved Wu Tang. Best. Um, I loved Ghostface. Um, yeah, Wu Tang. Wu Tang. Um, Tribe, De La, Gangstar. I loved Gangstar. Biggie. Oh my god. Um, like, uh, like moment of truth. Sick. Like man. moment of truth had like I loved that, that song in general. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, it's um, mass appeal. Um, Great. So my much. Affiliate home. Do what? You, I left my affiliate home. Do you have another? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, you blunted I, my brother. I, I I yeah. There was like. Oh, that's a nice and smooth one. Yeah. D wick whatever. Yeah. I um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ian's a top one for you. Yeah. I think so. Just because. Um, All around inspiration, musically, everything, label, economically, everything, man, ethical, everything. Yeah. yeah, dude, everything, man. Yeah, like he was just such a like a, and still is, man. Yeah, he really is, man. You know, like um, really lives it. And he's so accessible, and he's so just you know kind and totally honest. Yeah, real. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Fuck, man. Let's talk about how, how underrated Soul Side is as well. Soul Side, Scream, fucking Gray Matter, man. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, amazing groups, man. I I you know, and I think that was kind of. You know, it, I, it was a great natural progression from hardcore. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, totally. Like, um, but it's weird for me to talk about it because I was so young at the time that it was happening. I feel like I didn't really get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, I can yeah. I can listen to those records as an afterthought, but like and and recognize how amazing they are. But like when Revolution Summer was happening, I was fucking six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was another like you know like six seven years before i started going to shows yeah and 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 it was and it was also weird because you know at the beginning of the 90s like nirvana had already broke yeah and like alternative was already a thing so i was kind of you know i was listening to sammy um um do an interview the other day sammy from side by side yeah gorilla biscuits sammy Siegler, what up yeah and like i was just thinking it's like He's not that much older than me, mm-hmm. but just those couple years and the time and the place, whew, totally different trajectory. It's, it's crazy, man. And yeah. like, you Judge, know, shelter. Exactly. You know, side by side, grill yeah. business. It's like, you know, filling in for fucking Ernie every once in a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, just like when I listened to him and, and the bands that he'd been in, I was like. Crazy. I, I maybe was, Project X2 he was in it maybe and then Civ, obviously. Wow. Yeah. And and like I was thinking, you know, like okay, I shouldn't compare myself to him because he had a completely different set of circumstances. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But but I just respect the hell out of him, and I love the way he plays drums. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, obviously the first thing that went through my mind is like, man, this guy has played for like iconic New York hardcore bands. I've only played for like like some of the most obscure bands you've <laughs> never heard of, but I've got these little things here and there that people are just like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. That's cool. That's cool. You know what I mean? But I, you know, I I cannot get into the game of comparing myself to no, others no. because because I know that the things that like I have are, are, are some of the things that that other people probably pray for. You know what I totally, mean? Totally, yeah, man. So so I just look at you know the the mile markers that I've hit, and I'm just and I'm just grateful. Yeah, man. That I that I got to be there. Yeah, because you know. You know, other people did what they did, but they didn't get to do what I did. And the, and the things yeah. that I did, they they have incredible meaning for me, and they brought me a lot of happiness and a lot of joy and a lot of peace. So, totally. You know, so. and you're still doing, you're still being creative, you're still making music, starting bands, yeah, playing drums, yeah. Still, still continue to do it. It's for it's for life, you know. I do not want to slow down. Yeah, it's all you want to do and continue to do. I mean, I don't. Was there something besides music you ever wanted to do? Like, I, I don't want to do this no more. Like, I'm done music. Um, I mean, I, I mean, as you, as you, from this conversation, you know what I mean? Like you said, you learn a lot about yeah, me, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's maybe a lot about me that like, I, I should maybe like my thoughts and feelings and I, I'm, I should probably start writing them down. You know what yeah. I mean? Like journaling and shit. Yeah. I, I mean, I do journal. It's therapeutic. I, I, I do journal therapeutically, but like <laughs> I I would like to, you know, like I've got a bunch of recorded audio documents of like my existence, but I, wow. I you know. Like, just you talking? No, no, no. Just, you know, in the form of like oh, rec recordings. I okay. Mean, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But like, like a written document. You know, I, I think I, I really should spend some time maybe just like writing some stuff out that I can be like, this is music that I contributed to, but these are, you know, like thoughts, feelings, you know, that, that I feel like I need to give freely to other people. Because I think that's what fucked me up so much about growing up. Mm. Everyone was trying to sell someone something, whether it's yeah. a broken TV or a broken answering machine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the more time I spend on this earth, the more I realize that there's such incredible value in sharing what you have without trying to make a buck off it. I agree, man. And so I think 100%. I just need to take what I've learned and what I've absorbed and what I've felt and what I've experienced and what I've thought so I can give it give it to others who might be in a place where they, they need a hand or they need someone yeah. to listen or they need their feelings validated and just to be heard, you know? Would you write a book? I I, I think that's what I would, I mean, like to do, but I, yeah. I just don't, you know, I mean, like. <laughs> you start writing shit down, it's writing every day. It's like, yeah, like your journal, your journal can become a book. Yeah. That's how you write songs, just write down feelings, what you're going through, and then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Like a cool journal. Just I mean, talking about it feels good, though. I mean, talking about it feels amazing, you know? Yeah. Like, um, but aside from that, you know, like all the other things that like I've thought in my life, like civil engineer, <laughs> cartographer, um, therapist, you know, like all those other things. It's just like I haven't followed through on doing them. I've all just gone back to like practicing drums. <laughs> yeah, it's always back to the drums. 
You so you seem like such a different person than just two years ago from that tour. It's crazy, man. Yeah, it's so crazy. Yeah, because you definitely were partying every day, almost. I'm, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, you guys drink this every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a nothing. You know, you're like you're a calm, mellow person to begin with, but this is like, this is awesome. It's just a different maybe because yeah, there was no time to sit down and talk like this on that tour, but this is so different like just getting to know you you know what i mean it's awesome well thanks man because yeah. we on the tour it's just so hectic and you know yeah i mean exactly what i was saying before it's like the pace of life just puts us in these trajectories where we're just like yeah it's hard to arrive at this moment mm-hmm. yeah but now we're here <laughs> it's fucking awesome <laughs> i know and i love it it's so good and this has been great man. i really appreciate you coming this is your first podcast it's my first podcast damn i think you do more maybe I mean, you start your own I mean, if folks want to, you got a you good know. voice. You got a really good voice, man. It, like <laughs> it sounds like it's just got to it's soothing, man. Oh, I think people are gonna be like, "Holy shit!" Because not many, t- not many people hear drummers talk about shit. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, it's. I'm it, about to have some drummers on. It's coming on too. I'm gonna, it's gonna be like three. I got coming on after you. I'll tell you after this, but hell yeah, more dr- more drummers and shit. You know, like I think drummers need to be given a mic more yeah. off stage because a lot of times like the on personality st- that goes along with the drummer is one who's like, I'm cool being back here. Yeah. I'll just keep my mouth shut and no, keep it's, the time. You know what I mean? It's true. And, and I definitely fall into that persona of just like, I don't need to speak with my words because I can just like subdivide time and just be here with you. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But when you give a drummer a microphone, I don't know, man. It's kind of a gamble. You never know what <laughs> like, you never know what the hell they're gonna say because we're such weird people. It, you, it's a def, definitely interesting human drummers for sure. Uh, you have a favorite drummer? I mean, Grohl was a huge influence on me. Brendan Canty, if you guys, was a huge influence on me. Um, I remember seeing Grohl playing Scream. It was sick. Man, back in the day, long bleached hair was fucking sick. I could not even imagine seeing that live force at that age playing with Scream. It was crazy. Uh, what about some New York drummers? Uh, Ernie. Oh yeah, I loved watching Ernie play. Um, Mackie, of course. One of my faves, man. Dude. One of my faves, man. Sammy. Sammy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mackie can play all types of music, and that's that's why you remind me of him because you don't play just punk. Or hardcore, like hip hop, everything, R and B. Mackie plays everything. I mean, that's I th- what I love about him. I think that's like one's responsibility as a drummer. It's like if mm. you really start sitting down, you really start practicing, then like you have to understand the vocabulary of different genres. You know, yeah. like I, I had to, I had to dissect and understand go go because it was like, gratefully, it was kind of like into my in my blood and like in totally. my pulse because very I, young age because I grew up around DC, mm-hmm. but you know, things like, like bossa Nova, like, like the genre of bossa Nova when I first heard it was like overwhelming and I couldn't like employ the, the multi hemispheres of one's body needed to, to accomplish the rhythm. Gotcha. It took me years to fully implement all four quadrants of my body to play a bossa nova beat. Wow. But I kept trying and I kept trying. I spent years just playing it wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like I kept trying and now I could like, you know, probably play for, you know, someone who needed a bossa nova drummer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, jazz is like an entire world of constant, um, just pushing yourself to like see 
how you can subdivide time. And like, and I think that's important no matter what the genre is. Um, drummers are people who, who study subdividing time, mm-hmm. you know? So considering that time is the thing that everything gets filtered through. Yeah. Time is essentially a river that, that everything just gets pushed through. And when you spend enough time trying to figure out how to subdivide that to the to to the quarter, to the half, to the sixteenth, to the thirty second, yeah, and then how to take those subdivisions and intersect them, like you start feeling like you're. It's it's I can't explain it. It's this almost like otherworldly like feeling of authority where you feel like you have control over time because you can go into a venue or a room and you and your being can send off vibrations and set a tone and set a tempo. It's almost like, you know how DJs have to read a room to play a good set. It's like almost the same thing that a drummer has to do. It's like good drummers. If you want to put off like a good show, you've got to bring the energy and you've got to bring the chops to yeah. set the tone, set the vibe, and be able to chop it up and subdivide time the way you need to to put on a good performance. And when drummers are good and they're in demand, yeah, it's like you're on blast. It's like all <laughs> systems go. I'm in demand. I'm needed. I'm needed. You know what I mean? But like, if you have a second to pause and you have a second to like observe the living organic world around you, then suddenly the tables are turned and you have to accept the fact that you're not greater than this thing you're part of. Yeah. You're part of it. And time is actually filtering through you. (laughs) That's interesting. That's amazing actually. Yeah. You know, like such an interesting perspective. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I don't know how many drummers will like really see it or, you know, like digest it that way. But, I mean, if you make a lifetime practice out of dividing time, at some point you're going to have to sit back and let time cut you up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I never had like a drummer's perspective like that. Man, it was a good conversation today. (laughs) It's almost two hours. It goes by fast, right? Yeah, yeah. Fuck, Andrew. Thank you so much for being here, man. No, um, thank you for having me. Let me, me check man. my notes, make sure I covered anything with you. This guy fucking first po- podcast killed it. Um, negative your own podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I covered all the bands, everything I did in here. What what were those? What were those? Um, Dean Bala to, to, Thomas session. What was that? What is that? Um, it's a certain set of beats you did at a certain studio. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just went to New York and I tracked like it was just like a bunch of like you know, drum breaks that I had for a long time, but I wanted to kind of get away from trying to engineer it myself. And okay. I was, you know, like, uh, my friend Dean had a studio in New York and I was like, Hey, can I just come into your studio and track some breaks? And he was like, totally. So can I, people find, can people buy your breaks anymore online? Uh, yeah, I got a band camp up. Okay. Know, what is can, that? Black's records band camp. I'm pretty sure if you search black's record band camp, you'll be able to find so people it. can buy, people can buy your beats there. Yeah. And they can find you on social media, Blacks Records, right? Yep, I'm at Blacks Records on Instagram. And what, you have a website or anything or two? No. No, I mean, one of these days I should probably like put up a website with all the groups that I've played. Yeah. 
for over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of them just like resting in obscurity and the internet, <laughs> you know. There's this thing you could do on your Instagram. I saw it somebody the other day. It's like a LinkedIn account. So you can, it's some link and you click on it. It has everything you've done. It has your YouTube. It has all your shit on one. Like, I don't know. I saw it the other day. I haven't done it either, but I should do it. Should and it's like it has your website time. and everything all involved and just one click and see everything you've done. It's like your bio, I guess. Huh. Should probably go update that. It's what the kids are, it's what the kids are doing these days. <laughs> um, well, thank you for being here. Uh, congrats. So congrats on being sober too since last time I saw you. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Look great. Um, I hope to hang with you soon. Do some hiking or something. It sucks because now you live, now you live further. Now I think what thirty minutes away. Yeah, that's where Adam lives too. Adam lives out there too. Dude, it's like it's so close. I know. Yeah, you should train with Adam out there. He trains people. It's a pretty sick gym out there, man. That's a good idea. I could I could use some core training. Yeah, he he's, he's killing it out there. Um, all right, Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening, everybody. Andrew Black, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, y'all, Liquid Death's been so kind to give me a promo code. So if you first purchase on liquiddeath.com, go to liquiddeath.com slash OLOC, and you get a free set of koozies with your first purchase of H2O, still or sparkling. Uh, if not, you can try it also at Whole Foods or 7-Eleven. Use the promo code OLOC for your first purchase of Liquid Death. Thank you, Liquid Death, for your support. Appreciate you so much. Murder your thirst. H2O saves lives, y'all.